The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are now turning to the Psalms. If you have a Bible, uh, that's basically, if we have ones in the front, if you don't have a Bible, uh, the Psalms is uh, that big book close to the middle of the Bible. So you kind of go right into the middle, maybe about 100, 200 pages to the left. Uh, if you were to go to the middle of the Bible, it's generally going to be Isaiah, depending on the kind of the font size and all that stuff in your book. But Psalms is close to the middle, right to the left. We do these uh, when we go through, uh, when we go, uh, when we preach through the summer, we go through the Psalms together. And so we pick up where we left off last time with Psalm 56. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read Psalm 56. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and we will make reference to the message translation as we move through this. But um, I'm going to read from Psalm 56, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into this together. Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker opposes, oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall, not, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me, for you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thanks, uh, thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before you in the light of life. So let's pray together. Father, as we Look at this song. You would give us your spirit. Illumine your word to us so that we can see it. Turn the lights on in our hearts so that we can walk after you and enjoy your presence with us. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're starting back into the Psalms. It's actually been about two years since we were in the Psalms last. The reason we didn't do them last year is we preached through Ecclesiastes. Uh, that was a very well-timed book for us. Ecclesiastes is similar enough to the Psalms where it felt like it could have been redundant for us to do the Psalms. So as we get back into the Psalms this summer, I just want to ask as we get started, why is the book of the Psalms in the Bible? It's a weird book, right? It's a weird book that doesn't quite make sense. I mean, if, you're, if you've grown up in the church or you've been around the church for a while, you read the Psalms, you're kind of like, well, they're just, it's just kind of like the way religious people talk. <laughs> but it, it doesn't make, there's things about the Psalms that don't make sense. For example, in our Psalm, we just talked about God having a bottle that he puts people's tears in. If that doesn't strike you as weird, then you need to revisit how weird the Bible actually is, right? And not only that, we have a book. We, he mentions a book. Is God Santa Claus? Does he keep track of, you know, whether you've done good or bad? That sort of thing. Is he, like, watching you when you're sleeping like Santa? That's weird. And then it makes the Bible, talk, the Psalms will talk about God having wings, and you, you rest under the shadow of his wings. Like, does he have wings that, like, cover the whole world? I thought God was invisible and didn't have a body. Or it talks about God being a rock. That's, I mean, if you, we talk about rock stars. <laughs> it's weird to say, you know what? Here's this rock. 
This is what God's like. It's a weird book, and it's filled with all these things called metaphors. Now, again, if you're not familiar with the Bible, I recognize that learning metaphors can be, a, you know, we learn, we know metaphors on the street, and we know how to talk about metaphors, you know, like uh, so-and-so is a solid guy. Well, I don't mean that he's a statue, right? I mean that he's just like an upstanding guy. The Bible uses metaphors as a way of inviting us into the character and person of who God is. What is God like? We have in these Psalms all of these pictures of basically describing here's what God is like, and here's an invitation into a world where that God lives in the mess of what it's like to be us. Right? These are metaphors that we are invited into. Right? So when we say, for example, oh, when, you know, when Jacob gets mad, he's a bear, we don't mean that I'd... We don't mean like Pixar Brave that I turn into a bear, right? It means that I get angry and I look like a bear or whatever. And just how ferocious, you know, I'm not saying that's what I am like. But when the Bible says God is keeping your tears of suffering in a bottle, it's inviting us into a picture of what God is like, right? The Psalms actually don't very care too much about being very literal. They're not, they're not psalms you should read and be like, this is literally true. God has on the shelf of his house a bottle with tears of every person that's ever lived, what, some one trillion people who have ever existed in the world. He's got a trillion bottles of tears in his house. There's something that there's an, this is an invitation to, and it's an invitation to use our imagination to understand what God is like for our world and our lives right now. So we have in the psalms a collision between God's world and our world. What, God's, what it's like for this holy, good, gracious, sovereign God co- to collide with our world that is full of anxiety and fear and emotional tension and disappointment and suffering and joys and goodness and you name it. It's a collision of these two worlds. It's, a, it's an invitation then to put these worlds together and see, what is it like to talk about my world with all of my fears and joys inside God's world where he's good and gracious and just and holy? Eugene Peterson, uh, somebody that I am increasingly discipled by, he said this, the Psalms are an extended refutation that prayer is being nice before God. Prayer is not being nice before God. It's being open. See, that's what these psalms invite us into. They cut through all of our religious language about, oh, it's just a season in my life, or, you know, these things are just kind of hard right now. And it gets gritty and says, it gets in God's face about what my life is like. And it gives us words that are inspired by the living God himself so that we can be not nice to God. Certainly God doesn't need us to be nice to him. He doesn't even want us to be nice to him. He wants us to be honest and open with him about what it's like to be you and me in this world right now inside this world that God has claimed to make, full of its disappointments and failures and sufferings and joys and happiness. So when we enter into the Psalms, we are entering into this invitation to use, to evaluate our emotional experience, our lived life experience, and to put our imagination caps on and say, what does God say about this experience of what it means to be a human in God's world? So when we come into Psalm 56, we come into a world that is full of helplessness, right? Psalm 56 is imagining our helplessness in the world of God's power. That's 
kind of the overarching idea. We're going to get to the main point in a second. If there's ever been a year in the history, at least of our lifetimes, that has emphasized that you can very easily feel helpless very quickly with no decision power to affect anything, 2020 was certainly a year to make us all feel a little helpless, right? Um, which experts do we believe about the pandemic? What policies? Oh my gosh, uh, there's, what's going on with the politics? <laughs> my, you know, what's going on with this or that? Certainly you can then just kind of reflect on the losses that some of us have experienced, the family tension and drama that some of us have experienced. All those things drive home this sense of, I cannot control nearly as much as I thought I could, right? That's one of the, the most challenging parts of going from uh, being a kid to being an adult is realizing I don't control most things in this world, right? That's, that's what most of my, my children struggle with the most is realizing that, no, I control when bedtime is, they don't. <laughs> All the way up to, no, you don't control how, many tax, how much you owe in taxes. The government does. All those things, and certainly much more, drives home this sense of what does it mean to be a person who does not have power over everything in the world and feels helpless. So, what do we do when we feel helpless? Meanwhile, God says he's in control of this world. Here's the main point of this psalm, and then we're going to break it into two parts as we work through this. In the heat of helplessness, walk in the light of God's presence. These psalms are going to have very simple ideas. And they're going to feel very simple. And honestly, my sermons may be very simple about them. They should be an invitation for you to then take these psalms and begin to kind of poke them and prod them and explore them more through the week rather than just expecting for everything to kind of get pulled out right here on Sundays. But the main point, in the heat of helplessness, we're going to see that in the first seven verses, what does it mean to walk in the light of God's presence? That's going to be the last half. So, Verses 1 to 7, we're going to break this open. Open up about your helplessness. Verses 1 to 7, look at these first seven verses and ask, see that what does it mean to walk in the light of God's presence, to be open or open up about your helplessness. Let me read this for us and then we will circle back. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My, enemy, my enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I'm afraid, I put my day long, they, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? And wrath casts down the peoples, O God. Right? The context, if you just kind of see, there's a little, it's called a um, superscription um, at the top of it of the psalm, it describes that this psalm is attributed to David, King David, that he wrote it when he was taking refuge um, with some enemies of Israel. Basically, what had happened is Saul, the original king of Israel, was out to kill David. David, from David and Goliath, the people that, were, that Goliath was from, David took refuge with those people. And in the history, it just seems like he, while he had taken refuge with them, they had somehow kind of circled around him, and he was then had to be treated like a captive amidst the people that he'd killed their big, strong giant for. And David feels extremely trapped, right? You can imagine, right? He just killed their Hothor Bjornsson or whatever it is, you know, their strong man. <laughs> he's, he's Israel's strong man, and the president of Israel is all out to kill him. 
he feels trapped and helpless. And the biblical history picks up from there. There's an emotion here that is extreme. It feel, you notice how he's talking about all day long my attacker opposes me or oppresses me. This is where so, uh, the, the message translation of this, it just captures it in a unique way that I wanted to read for us. Psalm 56 verses 1 to 4, just to kind of give some, um, some street-level emotional reading of this. Take my side, O God. I'm getting kicked around, stomped on every day. Not a day goes by, but somebody beats me up. They make it their duty to beat me up. When I get, ready, get really afraid, I come to you in trust. I'm proud to praise God, fearless now. I trust in God. What can mortals do to me? You, 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 see, you get the, the simplicity of, of the message translation of this, which is a more simple reading of the original text. God, they're beating me up and they're coming after me all day long. What is going on? God, where are you in the midst of this? Right? We can all feel the same sense of feeling like, I just can't seem to get ahead. Where, where, what's going on? Like, it feels like somebody's like walking around me and just kind of taking notes on what's going on in my life, and then they figure out how to throw little darts at me. You know, they, they say little sni- sniping comments, or they make my work life um, difficult, right? This could be how some of you feel about having crazy family members, right, who are constantly causing drama one way or the other constantly undermining you, right? Or an abusive boss that makes your work like life a living hell, right? Somebody in my family was talking about that their job at their, their, their last uh, boss before they moved on to another job, it felt like their, their boss was just constantly like narcissistically just berating and undermining and devaluing him at the workplace. And you can imagine if you spend 50 hours a week doing that job under those conditions, <laughs> you can begin to feel like, what gives, right? It can be anything like that, or it can be the injustices that you suffer where things have not gone correctly, right? It is not so much that somebody's actually walking alongside King David and being like kicking him (laughs) every five seconds. He's painting a picture for us of feeling helpless before all of his enemies. It's a sense of almost basically nothing is going right, and it feels like the world's against him. And he asks, God, where are you? That's what helplessness feels like. It almost feels like, in a certain sense, in my, experience, my personal experience in walking alongside others in the midst of their panic attacks, it feels like the thinking that goes right before you have this, uh, this break of a panic. I don't know what to do. It just seems like to never let up. And then so where does David go with this? Verses 5 to 7. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They waited for my life. God, what are you going to do? Verses 5 and 6 describe this picture of them using their words to kind of uh, go after David, undermine him, snipe at him, lie about him, deceive him, using their words to create a world that is oppressive for David. Which is why in the middle of this, then, verses 3 to 4 make a little bit more sense. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. You see, ultimately what's going on amidst whatever David's phys- facing physically, there are two different types of narratives going on that are causing this collision in his life of feeling helpless. They seem like they've got it. They've got the inside track with the world, and they are oppressing me. That's your family, job, whatever it is. 
and God, your word, claims to rule the world. So it is God's word that he then begins to pick up and say, I'm going to address this narrative over here. I'm going to address the narrative of my enemies with God's word. My enemies' narrative, right, the words here, they injure my cause, their thoughts against me are for evil. The literal translations of those are their words are twisting. They use twisting words and they use injuring words. And here, God's word, it fills him with life, right? What David is basically saying is he's picking up his Bible and he's saying, God, in you, I find somebody that understands me. God, in the midst of all of this oppression, I turn to your word and I feel like you understand me, right? Part of that's true just because of how David reads the Old Testament. And then part of that's true for us when we pick up this psalm and begins to describe what our experience of life is. God, I feel this panic attack. I feel this oppression around me. It's significant that in the midst of feeling oppressed, David, David gives us words to describe what does it mean to feel helpless that are also the very words of the living God. So then God begins to take on these words to describe what our life is like. The reason part of it that we can turn to God's word and say, God, I need your help, is that he uses words that say, God, where are you in the midst of this? Are these people going to get away with this? God, you know this is not right. He's giving us those very words in his word to say those words to him. It's a bit of an incredible moment when you realize, like, it's not like the Psalms are cussing God out, but they are certainly getting in God's face and not being nice about what he feels like God is failing to do. God, you need to give me, yeah, God, I need your words. To, I need you to understand me. And we have here this Psalm 56, this word, these words that say, effectively, God does understand what it's like to feel helpless. That's the first thing about this. I think it's significant. The second thing is that David is saying these words in a letter or in a poem in public, and I think this is a challenge for us as New Englanders to begin to, to wrestle with this dynamic. David says what's going on on the inside, on the outside. I know that's a revolutionary thought for some of us New Englanders, right? He talks about what's going on inside, and he uses his words to say it to other people. New Englanders, I'm afraid to say, do not often open up about what's going on on the inside. We bottle it up. We just keep our brows down. We do our duty. We you know, do whatever's expected of us. David is saying, you need to open up about what is going on on the inside. And that doesn't mean getting it fixed, right? <laughs> How many of you, I, when my when Michelle will say something to me about, you know, this thing, she feels helpless with this thing, like whatever's going on or what, we can't fix this or what's going on. My immediate brain goes into how can I fix this, right? Last night she asked me to, hey, can you replace the faucet um, and the kitchen sink? I was like, this is like right up my alley. I love for you to tell me problems and fix them. I don't love for you to tell me problems that you don't want me to fix. <laughs> David is saying, here's a problem and I just need partly just to say, here's the problem. I feel helpless. This is an instruction for us, guys. We've got to be able to just have a place where we can say, here's what's going on. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to be able to articulate back to me what's going on. That way, that's how we begin to feel understood, right? If you tell me, uh, Jacob, my boss is a real jerk. Um, I asked, not only I asked for the day off, for uh, this day, two months in advance, not only did he not give me that day off, 
but he added overtime hours for that work, and I've already bought the plane ticket to go on vacation for those days that I asked off that he didn't give me. And then he, only, then he fired somebody else and gave me their work, and you begin to paint this picture of like, man, that boss sounds like he's a real jerk. And then I say to you, you know what? It just sounds like he's got a lot on his plate. You don't feel understood. Your experience of your work life does not feel like I understand what you're talking about, and that's why it's significant. God gives us words to understand what's going on and feeling helpless, and then he says, use these words to say them to other people so that the people around you can understand what it feels like to be you in this moment of feeling helpless. That, that is, I think, a part of these psalms is that these are a part of our congregational life together. So it is okay for you to be able to say, and you should, here's how I feel right now. Here's what's going on in my life. Would you please just listen? I don't need you to fix it. God's going to figure this out somehow, but I need to feel understood. We need to be able to be the type of people who are safe, who don't need to fix other people's problems, but just simply to listen. That's a part of what this psalm is here doing for us. It is putting the, what's going on on the inside on the outside and trusting God's going to take care of it, but I want other people to know. So, do you hear others or do you to understand them or do you hear others to fix them? Similarly, are there people that you feel safe talking to so that you feel understood? I pray that that's what you feel in this church, that you feel understood. Whatever those people are, when you feel helpless, maybe this is last week, maybe it's your job, parenting, family, maybe it's the fact that you just can't seem to get things fixed in your life or whatever, who are people in this church you can talk to and say, I just, I feel helpless. Second half of the psalm, find the light of his word. Certainly we've read this right, verse 4, in God whose word I praise, right? That's a psalm that's, that, that gets reiterated here in um, verse 10, in God whose word I praise, right? That is a common theme in the psalm, but let's read through these verses and then we'll kind of begin to unpack them. Finding the light of his words, verse 8, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will trust perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So there's a striking shift here in this psalm. It goes from basically saying, here's my experience, God, with my enemies or my, my oppressors, the people who are against me and causing me a lot of grief and problems. Here's what's going on, God. And then the last verses of the, from verse 8, okay, God. It's me and you. Now, there's a striking change from verse 1 to 7 and then 8 to en- the end because his, his attention, okay, God, I need to get out what's going on on the inside. And once I'm getting it out, I'm not taking it to you and trusting, God, you're going to do something. God gut does something. The details are not reported, and that's not overly important. But the thing that's interesting here, again, to speak to those metaphors we were talking about earlier, why does God have a tear bottle? Does God have a book where he... Santa Claus is my life. Here's what's going on. For us, in the modern world, we still put things that are precious to us in glass bottles or in glass. You think about all your family pictures, they're behind glass, right? You have some family, something that you do. Some of you like to get mugs when you go places. Some of you like to get glasses when you go places as like a commemoration of things. We still left up, 
we still put basically, the idea is we put things that are precious to us and that we want to preserve inside glass. Same thing in the ancient world. Anything that was precious to them, they put inside a glass bottle, right? And you can make a big glass bottle and put things inside it that are bigger than smaller or whatever. Precious things are in glass. And then also added to that to underline the point, right? When we print a book today, it's no big deal, right? We print a book, we buy it, you know, you can spend a little bit more money on books or whatever. Let's say you spend $50 on a book. That's an expensive book for us today, right? 50 bucks, oh my gosh. Most books are cheap, throw them away, they get broken, they get stained, they get ripped up, you know, your dog, whatever. They're gone, no big deal. Up until about 1850, it was not the case. Up until about 1850, books were a significant financial investment. They cost uh, months, if not a year's worth of pay to be able to buy them. So up until the 1850, 1850s, if a family had a Bible, that if, you saw, if you walked in the house and you saw a Bible in their house, that means that they would have painstakingly taken money and set it aside week after week, harvest after harvest, to then be able to buy a book to have in their house. Can you believe it? Even more so in the ancient world where they didn't have, you know, paper. They had scrolls of animal skin. And so here the image is God is taking something that is precious in this ancient world 3,000 years ago where they would have had to kill an animal, skin the animal, treat the, the leather so that the leather could then be written on, had special ink. And what, and what is God using to write down in this book that is precious to him? He's not writing down the major events of the day, which is what you and I would do. So-and-so got elected on this day. The votes went like this. This is our harvest. Da, 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 da. He's looking every anxious toss, every anxious thought. Every time you feel misunderstood, you feel oppressed, you feel victimized, maybe he in fact writes down the, the moment. You have to realize this one little line captures for us this shock to the ancient reader. Oh my, you mean God? cares so much. My life and my anxieties and my troubles are so precious to him that he effectively spends this vast amount of money on a blank book to then write my life down in it? What type of God is this that cares so deeply about me? It's hard for us that live in an Amazon Prime world where I can buy another journal tomorrow and have it delivered, prime shipping in pink, for us to understand what God is saying to us here, your anxieties, the way in which you feel helpless is so critical to God. He pays so close attention that he spends effectively this vast amount of money, to use the metaphor, to have a little journal to note, I care about all of your anxieties. What are they like? So it's in the light of the presence of this God that David then says, you know what? It may feel like these guys can't, they, these guys are totally running my life. But if this God has this sort of posture and care for me, I don't need to worry about this. This will get handled. I need God. And that's where the psalm goes, right? So Psalm 57, verse 12, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thanksgiving to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling. We don't get the details of what God did to change the situation. And the point is not that he gets to list out all the ways in which, well, you know, uh, 
I'm not trying to use anybody's name in the rooms. <laughs> I'll use my son's name. God take care of, took care of Owen. He got him out of the picture. God took care of Silas, got him out of the picture, and he did it in this way. It doesn't matter. The details don't matter. The fact that God was the one who showed up and God was the one who was caring for him, God was the one who paid attention and understood him, that's the more critical part of this. That's how he's finding the light of God's word living in his life so that, right, the way, the trajectory of this is that God, to quote the end of the psalm from the message, now I stroll at leisure with God in the sunlit fields of life. He ends that I may walk before God in the light of life. God's word is a light that turns the soul abright in a certain way that nothing else can do. As I, I said to you guys back in January at our family meeting that this last year I had struggled pretty significantly on and off with depression. And one of the ways in which I experienced God's power in those moments was what I felt like was an encounter with the Lord in Genesis 1. And so I was actually reading a kid's book to review it for using for children's ministry stuff. And I was reading in Genesis 1, here in some of these darker days for me, and I read Genesis 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. I know that some of you that you're going to read that and you'll be like, well, it's a fact of what happened. But you realize those are the first words that God speaks in the Bible. It's the first time that God is uttering words. Certainly verses 1 and 2 are God's word, but it records God saying something. And what is God's first words that he is recorded as saying? Let there be light. It is because, and this is what I experienced in that moment, God is fundamentally bright, pure, good, and loving, and he speaks it and he wants us to know it. The world of darkness, decay, despair, all of those things are things that God speaks his light over, into, and through. I don't know how else to explain it other than just say, I had this experience with the Lord where his word literally recorded him speaking, let there be light into the darkness of my own experience, which I think is similar to what Psalm 56 is getting us at. God is himself amidst all of the ways in which oppression makes us feel darkness is going to win. God is himself speaking light and is himself life with us in the midst of our darkness and helplessness and despair. This is what we find in John. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is identified as the light of life, right? John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and his life was the light of men. And then over in John 8, Jesus says to this, Again, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, when Jesus speaks in John 8, he is in the midst of people coming after him, talking smack about him, trying to oppress him, get him killed, right? This is John 8. He's just got a couple more chapters and then it's a crucifixion. Jesus speaks these words about being the light of life in the midst of walking down into the depths and pits of helplessness and darkness. And so when he says this, he's saying this basically, um, I'm about to walk into this house full of darkness to take on your darkness and despair and sin for you. But right before I open this door, just let me, just let me remind you guys, I'm the light of the world. If you walk in me, you will, not have, you will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, Jesus himself 
is the word and promise of God taking on flesh to live our life with us, to live our life for us, so that in the midst of our helplessness, we experience the presence not of some distant God, but of a God who knows what it's like to be us in the midst of all of the junk that we feel helpless with. So as we end, let me just make three comments. How does Psalm 56 speak to our helplessness? First, God can take it. God can take hearing about all the ways in which you feel frustrated and angry and anxious and panicking. You do not need to be nice in telling God about how helpless you feel amidst the pressures and realities of this life. Secondly, God has lived it. When Jesus takes on flesh and lives your life, a perfect life in your place, and then not only lives a life in your place ahead of you, but walks your oppression and feelings of suffering and helplessness beside you, you know that not only does God know what it's like from a distance, but he knows what it's like from the inside out. And that's the third thing. We need to use our words to hold on to God's word and say what's going on to other people. When you feel helpless, who is a safe person? to share what's going on on the inside. It is how, this is how I think Psalm 56 helps us to help in the heat of a helplessness to walk in the light of God's presence. So let's pray. Father, as we've looked at these words and considered what does it mean to be people of the light who walk in light, in the light of your life, amidst a dark world where we can feel very helpless, I pray that you give us your spirit and awaken us to how you are with us in the midst of all of the ways in which we feel helpless. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.